Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. So what are the, what are the politics of, uh, of habitat preservation, species preservation? I, I think of it, you know, I think of environmental writ large as, as a, most of the people who are environmentalists are on the left. And there's an agenda about climate change, and there's a view that, I, I share the view that there's not a whole lot we can do about climate change, whether it's man-made or not, and the cost of trying to doing thing, of trying to fix things are so high that you got to count on human beings adapting to a changing environment. And if, and if, if we want to do something serious, we'd have to start with the Chinese or the Russians or a lot of the other people that are, that are serious polluters. Uh, but habitat's different. I mean, habitat's man-made. Habitat issues are man-made. And we have, you know, we've had to develop, and we've had this massive explosion of, of people around the world, and yet the encouraging thing, I think, of is that if it is man-made, we can do something about it. And we can do it through political pressure, we can do it through just raising awareness, we can do, and you point out, Ron, we can do things locally. I mean, even as simple as changing zoning laws so that you've got to be, be aware that... Uh, we need to protect habitat. I mean, uh, the, my question is, can we break habitat out of the environmental mo movement generally and get people on the right more enthusiastic about this? Well, I think one of the first things we have to do, and this is, uh, I'm, I'm certainly not the first one that's making these proposals. It's been simmering for a while. I think, I think what we notice as citizens in our country uh, that uh, the old uh, paradigms are not serving us. Uh, the paradigms of left and right, Republican, sure. Democrat. For sure. Uh, nobody's happy. Nobody's satisfied. And the bottom line is we're not solving problems. And we have huge problems. All, we're talking about problems around habitat, wildlife, and protecting the planet, which is pretty major. But there's also other uh, pro problems, and almost nothing's getting solved. So I think uh, w w in terms of one of the things I admire about uh, Trammell Crow, who started uh, EarthX in Dallas a few years ago, uh, it, it's on. It, it, it revolves around Earth Day that was started in 1970. Is he invites everybody in, and he said, when you come to EarthX, and it's a it's a long weekend, and people come with whatever they they have on their mind. It, it could be climate change, it could be clean energy, it could be saving leopards, it could be saving well, whatever it is. Uh, we're here to learn from each other. We're here to talk to each other. So if you if you want to come and point fingers and scream at people, please don't come, because that take gets us nowhere. And I think we, we must start to see each other as uh, fellow, uh, fellow citizens in our country. Of course, we, we live in our, in our own sovereign state, but also as, uh, as uh, sharing the planet and working together to come to solutions without blame and finger pointing. EarthX is in Dallas every year in, uh, in, April. in April. Yeah, it revolves it's a three day It's a three-day convention. And it's yeah. the largest Earth Day event in the world. So how many people will be there? 300,000 over the course of the days or I'm more? Sorry. I'm not sure. Yeah, it, it's a lot of people. Right yeah. uh, it's, it's bigger is any, is any of this streamed? I mean, do people yes. have to be there? I mean, how, would you, how would you participate if you couldn't make it to uh, Dallas? I think earthx.com, I think, is, is the okay. correct uh, URL. 
But if that isn't, if I don't have that right, just Google Earth X, and it's uh, it it's, it revolves around whatever that Earth Day is every year in April, uh, and it's a few days before and a few days after. It also includes an, uh, an environmental film festival, which has got great selection of documentary films on all sorts of subjects. And, and one of the things that Trammell has done is Trammell, uh, we understand you have to deal with the world the way it is, right? So Trammell invites in every conceivable uh, organization or NGO that's working on whatever they're working on, cleaning the oceans or, or saving the whales, and also major corporate leaders, because we, we, the environment we live in, we're not going to get the big things done unless corporate leaders come in and put their shoulder to the, to the plow and help solve the problem. So it's a place where uh, a, a, a lot of, everybody's welcome, but a lot of leadership shows up. And what I like about it is it's, uh, uh, you otherwise, you meet people you otherwise wouldn't meet. And look, you could say, look, I disagree with you on the other 90% of the things that, that, that the major media is talking about, but we don't have to talk about that. We, we're not here to disagree. Let's, let's, agree, let's work on what we can agree on. And most people agree we have a crisis in the environment, we have a crisis well, that's, in the Well, that's, that's the thing that I find intriguing about this habitat and species issue, is I think it's really hard to find people who could disagree that this is a good idea. I mean, it, that's, that era is long over. I think this is a 90% issue. That's where I think this is a wedge issue to get people engaged in environmental issues uh, uh, in a way that seems very uh, achievable. It's something everyone can get behind. Yeah. I mean, we're already seeing it happen in the south, in Southeast. The, Mr. Davis is, is making things happen. Uh, uh, I think things are happening in the West in New England. People are pulling it together. Interesting story. New England uh, cut down all its forests. I think it was in 1820. Oh, it was just after the Napoleonic Wars. Somehow they discovered Murano sheep. And everybody wanted to raise Murano sheep because it was highly valuable. And so they cut down all the forests in New England to bring sheep in. And you can still see the stone walls yeah. there. And then something happened, and the sheep became less valuable. So everybody gave up and moved west out of, out of, out of New England. And so you had this disforested uh, 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 region but the good news is that it's about 78% forest now. It's all come back. Uh, although some species didn't come back. The, 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 the first uh, uh, destruction of New England uh, was for the uh, British Navy. But, but, but because in the uh, 18th century, they had already taken down all the trees in Ireland. That's why if you go to Ireland even to today. These were for masts no for ships? For masts for ships. Yeah. Masts and spars. Okay. And I forget the, the, the tree species it was, but it's, it's, it's extinct in New England because they grew very tall and very straight. So that was the first. But if we look back at any of these things, there's some short-term economic reason why this is destroyed or that's destroyed. And people, no one was looking ahead. Okay, we can cut them some slack. They lived in the 18th century. But we have no such excuse anymore to, to, to go after those short-range goals. I mean, we, we talk a lot about Africa, and we should be talking about Africa. But let's talk about North America. Let's even talk about the United States of America, our country. We've had the, the gray wolf on the, on the endangered species list for a long time. Now it's coming under pressure because, again, of, of a narrow interest, and these are ranchers out west who, who are worried about there's too many wolves, they're losing their livestock, and they're pushing their representatives to get it unlisted as an endangered species. Well, of 
of course, anybody with common sense knows that once you allow people to go into the dens and just slaughter puffs in the dens, they'll be right back on the, on the, on the endangered species list within 12 months. Yeah. So it's like a, a open season on wolves. So again, it's, it, we have to stop thinking in terms of the short term. Now, now, if ranchers have an economic situation, let's address it. Let's not ignore the ranchers. They have, they have a reason that they have a problem. Let's help solve the problem. But maybe the, the solution to the problem isn't slaughtering wolves. In fact, I would argue, let's restore the wolf to its whole habitat. We, they're, they're now just around the national parks, and they're a little bit down in the, in the southern part of the United States. Well, before they were slaughtered almost to extinction uh, 100 years ago, uh, they ranged all over the North American continent. And by taking out the alpha species, which is the wolf, everything else was affected. So by taking out the wolf, uh, you had more deer, you had more caribou, they ate the bark on the trees. The whole ecosystem was, was changed in, in, in ways that, uh, that man created, not so beneficially. So again, we have to, I think, work at not looking at the narrow interest here, the narrow interest there, and the narrow interest there. Because you add up all the narrow interests, the, the end result is mass destruction and mass species annihilation. We have to step back and say, we need to stop the killing, we need to stop the slaughter, we need to stop the encroachment uh, by restoring wilderness to its natural state. And, if, and if there are individuals in businesses uh, who get caught up in this, yes, let's not ignore them. Let's find ways as a country to help solve their problem without making the wildlife well, one, one thing I think needs to be specified is when we talk about habitat preservation, it doesn't mean putting things in a national park. I mean, you can be creating habitats on private property, and the ranchers can be just involved in that as somebody that's running a national park. And so yes. we've got to find, we've got to make clear that this is not a question of, uh, you know, it's going to be owned by the government, it's going to be in private hands. I mean, a lot of people believe that the national parks have been mismanaged because of the, some of the agendas there, and that those would be better in private hands in part because they'd be, they'd be more naturalized. Yeah, I think it's a question of consciousness raising, uh, uh, and you, you mentioned the example of some people who like Turner, like Davis. These are uh, uh, some of the wealthiest people in our society, and, and, and they have voluntarily bought land to preserve it, to, to restore it, to let it be and to, its, to its natural state. So I think the, the best model, we would agree, is always the voluntary model, but, but, but we have to change incentives. So that it's uh, so that to volunteer to do something is easier than to not than, than to not volunteer to do something because if we don't do that, that then we're left uh, further down the road in, in, in more degraded circumstances where governments then have to be coercive. We don't want to get into a co coercive state of of a society. I know I know the three of us around this table certainly don't want to go there. So let's while we while we have a shot at voluntarily helping nature. Let's take that, that path. Skipper? I think as Ryan says, it's a question of, of awareness. You can go into your backyard, you know, plant a butterfly bush. I mean, there's so much uh, joy if you just, if you open up your eyes. And I think that's really the, the place to, to begin for a lot of folks. Well, you've been laboring in these vineyards forever. How, how, how is the half, I'm new to the half earth idea mm -hmm. a month ago. I think it's a wonderful idea. How many people understand this? Uh, I think it's, um, uh, you know, it's been kicking around for a while, the idea, but I think it's really just beginning to get traction 
right now. Um, uh, certainly, um, most of the folks that I've spoken to. I think to if we are, went to the shopping mall, we yeah. stopped people and said, what do you oh. think about half earth? You'd get a lot of blank stares. Yeah, well, that's why it's so important what you're doing and yeah. having us here today. There's, I feel there's huge momentum behind it right now, and it's just uh, bursting to, to get now out there. there. Are there? We've got Africa ASAP. Is, are, is there a half earth dedicated organization that, that is, is, or maybe we should start one today? Where we've got an organization getting dedicated to getting the word out and educating well, you, people. You know Wilson, right? Yes. Well, 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 how about yeah, a phone but, but, call? Ask him if there's an organization that goes along with the concept. Well, E.O. Wilson has written a great book, but he's very big on the vision and very short on how to actually make it happen. I mean, if you start well, a, you start assembling properties in Georgia, you got all kinds of you know people that are going to hold out. You can't really pull things together. You got to have a lot of resources or a lot of very um, useful zoning laws to help you make that happen. It's really, that's why it's, I think so much a question of awareness of, uh, of you know, it has to come from, from individuals and, uh, and young kids. Uh, so it's, I think, very important that this is talked about in schools. Uh, and again, to, to go into one's backyard and just on a sunny afternoon, it's a beautiful spring day out there today. Well, what, what I've learned, uh, uh, Bill, is that uh, we, you have to engage at many different levels at the same time. Uh, I, I, I mentioned before about my call to uh, uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Uh, th that, that was in, uh, uh, you know, in that particular case because I had access. You, we all of us have to look at what access do we have? What access do we have with our families, with our friends, in our communities, uh, in our schools? Uh, in, in my case, I happen to have access, to, you know, at the highest levels of the federal government, and the uh, and and just to briefly follow up on that story, Jeff Sessions uh, performed. He uh, within a week, I had a meeting with uh, assistant attorney generals at the, at the Department of Justice, uh, who who met me with uh, their legal pads and pencils at the ready, and uh, what can we do? And what I quickly found out, not to my surprise was that the federal government was already very much involved in these areas, fish and wildlife, uh, the, the Homeland Security, Department of Justice, State Department, already very much involved in the, in, the, in the wildlife trafficking and already very much aware that the traffickers were, were the same people doing all the other bad stuff around the world uh, and funneling money into terrorist organizations. It's all related. So the fact that you can't even divorce elephants being slaughtered from our own national security, that's how pervasive these, 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 I would say, evil transnational gangs are. So in, in this case, Jeff Sessions uh, pulled together a conference uh, at, the, at the DOJ, um, and there were 70, uh, Skipper was there, our friend Trammell Crow was there. Uh, there were uh, 70 people in the room, and what I found amazing was they all spoke. It was a kind of a half-day conference. The Attorney General was there. Uh, and all these Fish and Wildlife, Department of Justice, Homeland Security, FBI, uh, what I heard over and over again is they hadn't been assembled in one room ever. Yeah, ever. there you go. Everybody yeah. was in their silo, just like people were before 9-11 in their silos. Yeah. And they weren't sharing information. And had the information been shared before 9-11, as we now know, according to the 9-11 report, there may, we may have averted 9-11. And the same thing with the catastrophe with wildlife. These people have to know what everybody else is doing. So there was a, a feeling in the room, oh, wow, they were exchanging cards. They were exchanging business cards. I was amazed. So, the, I, and I share this because this is just a little old one guy making a phone call uh, to somebody he knew in government 
And the result was so something good, something better. And we also invited Kate um, Brooks, who flew in from London, yeah. uh, because she had made the documentary film The Last Animals. And she showed a 10-minute clip of The Last Animals, which is about the destruction in that film of the rhinoceros and the African elephant. So here we were, and, and, and uh, you know, uh, bringing only the federal government, the United States government and other allied governments can take on these transnational gangs. You know, we can't. I mean, we saw what happened to Skipper's friend when he crossed paths with those groups. They put a bullet in his head. Yeah. So, so, so this is how dangerous it is. This is how high the stakes are. So we need to work at all levels, um, uh, which is the federal level, the local level, our own families and friends. And each one of us can do what they can. And again, I, um, what I love about Wilson's approach is uh, nobody needs to feel like this is too big. I can't deal with it. Because yet every single one of us, no matter yeah. how small and insignificant we may feel, can make a difference. Well, there's an organization I just found called the Half Earth Project. Yes. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Yeah. Um, it seems to me like they're in the business of spreading the word. They are. They are. And uh, I, I think it'd be wonderful for, you know, listeners to go on. on they're at halfearthproject.org. And uh, they're talking about Half Earth Ambassadors, Educator Ambassadors created a platform for teachers to educate with each other and students in a grand ambition of half earth and they've also got maps here which is where they think the uh, they could be uh, habitats to be preserved which is sort of interesting when you actually look at a map and you think well we could make this happen what is about 15 percent of the of the earth right now is in, a, is in its natural state it, it depends, but maybe this morning. Now it's 14.75. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the, the rate of destruction is so great. So great. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's not yeah. just in Amazonia. It's not just in Malaysia. It's catastrophic what's going on to the, to the, to the, to the forests and those places. But, but our own country. I mean, I didn't know until about five or six years ago, uh, thanks to uh, Dogwood Alliance, who's based in, in uh, Asheville, uh, North Carolina, that our own forests in the southeast are getting clear-cut massively clear-cut I, I thought we couldn't do that anymore yeah. and i and uh and this is this is the carolinas southern part of virginia mostly the carolinas northern uh northern parts of of georgia and i looked into it and said, what's going on so uh there's a company uh called uh Inviva. it's one of the companies yeah they're buying up huge tracks and it's relatively uh, inexpensive well here's here's some the are we talking about the madrian pine oak woodlands of southwest that are being cut down uh, that's I'm talking about of... the southeast forest, like the Carolinas. Okay, but then well, there may be southwest. another problem out there. And and he, and here's the irony about this when you look into it. So why are these forests being cut down? Uh, 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 this is a classic case of unintended consequences, because the Europeans said we're not burning coal anymore. Well, the Europeans need power. Now France is under a lot of nuclear, but there are other countries that are not. Germany's got nuclear, um, so they they have these huge. Uh, fire burning so, plants. So we're, we're going back to the Middle Ages and cutting down forests? Forest. Oh. They, they have no forest to burn. They've destroyed them all. But and is it, it renewable? I mean, <laughs> these trees will grow every, every 30 years. You can. <laughs> so, so if you cut down a forest in, in, in France, you go to jail for, for a while. So, so they're looking at North America. They want our forest. Now, we're not talking about Weyerhaeuser and the big companies that are giving us the paper we use and the newspapers and the sure. toilet paper and everything else we use. Th those companies are responsible they have they, they they cut they grow they cut they grow on on a huge uh, uh, plantations. We're talking about companies going into 
virgin forests where that have a habitat and wildlife just cutting it all down. Massive destruction. I've seen the pictures. It looks like a nuclear bomb went off. Stumps. Yeah. What about the people who live there? Who lives in these environments? Poor whites and poor blacks. So there's a social component to this too. Suddenly they're living in the middle of a wasteland. What kind of life is that? But here's what happens to the wood. It, does it give employment for Americans? No. Is it building furniture or wood for houses? No. It gets chopped up into pellets, put on barges, then using fossil fuel to sail to Europe so they can be burned in incinerators to make electricity for the Europeans because they don't want to burn coal. This is the folly of what's going on. So you have a handful of people making a lot of money off, off destroying the, the forests of the Southeast, completely destroying the habitat and the ecosystem. And so I called, uh, again, uh, Bill, we have to be uh, clever and smart and, and efficient. So in the case of... I like clever, smart, and efficient. Yeah. <laughs> so, so in the case of the, of the, of the African elephant, uh, I called my good buddy Jeff Sessions, and Jeff Sessions came through. Now in the case a couple of years before, in the case of, uh, of, uh, of the forest, in, in, at, during, when I found out about that, that was during the Obama administration. I did not have access to anybody in the cabinet of the Obama administration, but Congressman Markey, who is a, 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 a Senator Markey, who's a neighbor of yours here, he's an old friend of mine, and I know he cares about these things, and I called Senator Markey, and I said, Senator, are you aware that the forests are being clear-cut in the southeast United States? Well, he was not aware. Again, we must never assume that any, everybody knows everything. And he said, come on in. And I had a meeting with Senator Markey and his chief of staff and his environmental staff, uh, and, here, and here's, here's, here's the rub. Uh, most people would think, Bill, that the Obama administration was very supportive of environmental issues. Uh, you'd be right, generally speaking, but again, not 100%. The EPA, under Obama, a couple of months before the meeting I had with uh, Senator Markey, had placed, uh, said, all biofuel is good. All biofuel is good. Well, that was a green light to these people that are cutting down the forests in the southeast United States. So I said, I said, Ed, you know, this, this can't stand. So to his credit, within one month, he sent a letter to the head of EPA. He said, please reopen your finding, because I understand about grass. I understand about corn. I, we understand about a lot of good biofuels. But do you really mean that we should be cutting down our forests? Uh, and so uh, at the end of the Obama administration, they actually agreed to reopen that study. And then we had an election and it was dropped. So, so, so as we stand right now, are we still the cutting forests down are cutting down, massive cutting going on in the south. And this is the Department of Interior that would have. Uh, this is EPA and EPA gives the, gives the uh, OK and it hasn't changed. And so they got a big, big green light, not even a blinking green light, a big green light to continue what they're doing. So this show is giving me an assignment for a next show is to pull together all the different ways you could probably influence this thing because there's got to be. I mean, I've, you know, the idea that, do you know the people behind uh, Half Earth, dot, the Half Earth Project? No. I've only met uh, Dr. Wilson uh, once. Okay. Uh, well, um, fascinating and big problem. And uh, I think the three of us together will get it done. <laughs> Skipper, oh, oh, Ron? Oh, 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 but if I just could also... Last word, Ron. Yeah, dogwoodalliance.com is, is the outfit in Asheville, which is on the forefront of trying to save the forest in the southeast United States. Okay, yeah, they came across my research, and I didn't... We, well, we'll get to next time. Let's, let's dig into this some more and see if we can't save the planet. Thanks for listening. Want more? 
Be sure to subscribe at thebillwaltonshow.com or on iTunes. Amazon is hiring near you. Earn a competitive wage and start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites, and Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.